Welcome to Periop Talk, the perioperative specific podcast where we discuss how to make surgery safer one podcast at a time. From Q&As with AORN guideline authors to interviews with OR nurses just like you, our goal is to always share practical information for you to take back to your OR. Hello, I'm Vanjie Dennis, president of ARN from 2022 through 2023. Thank you for joining me in the President's Corner. The President's Corner will be a series of conversations I will be having with colleagues around the country to explore some of the topics most important to our members. Today, we're going to have a conversation about the nursing shortage, nursing uncharted, and where do we go from here? My colleague and guest today is David Wyatt. Many of you know David as past president of AORN from 2020 through 2021. He's been a national thought leader in the perioperative profession for several years. Today, David is the chief nursing officer at the University Hospitals at the University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center in Dallas. As a chief nursing officer, he is responsible for nursing leadership and care delivery, including inpatient, critical care, emergency, perioperative services, procedural, and other specialty nursing care environments. Prior to this world, he was the vice president of perioperative enterprise at Vanderbilt University Adult Hospital. David, thank you for joining me today. Thanks, Vanjie. It's great to be here. As you know, shortages are not new to nursing, but let's look where we are today. National reports estimate that we have lost as many as 100,000 nurses, which left the profession entirely or taken early retirement across the specialties just during the pandemic. And we're hearing from leaders across the country that they're not only short staff, but they're truly worried about how this impacts safe patient care and our ability to serve our patients with the highest quality over the long term. So David, what makes this crisis unique, do you think? Well, you're right, Vanjie. We have had over the, the lifetime of the profession nursing shortages. And some of the literature goes back to before I was a nurse talking about the nursing shortage. And so nursing shortages are not new. They're very cyclical. And, uh, you know, nursing's an interesting profession in that when the overall economy is poor, that impacts how nurses return back to either full-time, part-time, PRN, those that leave. But this is very different uh, during the, the pandemic. And I think that they, we've had a lot of dynamics within the profession that have been ongoing for quite some time. And COVID really brought everything to a head at the same time. And that's been one of the biggest challenges, I think, uh, addressing this shortage is it's not just a compensation issue. It's not just a training issue. It's about workplace violence. It's, a, it's about how people are managing their personal lives differently. And the, the challenges that this, this pandemic has represented there, uh, and it's just a very different point in time for our profession. Yes, and I think there's not any of us that I can think of amongst my peers or even nationally with the board of directors that not, we're not feeling the same angst all over. It doesn't matter if it's a huge medical center or either a standalone hospital system. 
Do you blame the pandemic for the great resignation, or do you believe it has deeper roots? I do think it has deeper roots, although I believe fundamentally that the pandemic, again, brought it brought all this to a head. Um, it's like we're at a crossroads where all of these issues were ongoing, and I don't want to imply that they were tolerable, uh, because they weren't for different individuals in different parts of the country. but. COVID brought it to a crossroads where it hit and all of it happening at the same time. When I think of the differences between generations, we've always had differences between generations, right? Yes. You know, uh, when I started in nursing, uh, it was all the baby boomers talking about the Gen Xers, <laughs> right? Yes, I remember um, that. And the conflict that that came up. And I, it, I laugh because I'm a father of millennials and we're talking about millennials, not not with all the same characteristics, but in with the same tone that I remember people talking about Gen Xers. And so I think that the differences that we're seeing in, in the generations, we have never really been very good at adapting the profession in a way that it really integrates those individuals effectively. And I think the 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 characteristics that we were going through in our society and in the profession didn't have quite the same urgency that we have now. That urgency has changed dramatically. The expectations of new nurses coming in, um, I'm actually thankful for. I'm thankful for the fact that they are not tolerant of racism. They're not tolerant of workplace violence. They're not tolerant of some of these things that I'm embarrassed to say we really have let happen without addressing in a systematic way for a very long time. So do I blame COVID for some of this? Of course I do. Uh, but I do think there's a silver lining to the pandemic that I think it's brought us to a point in time in our profession where we have an opportunity to make an impactful difference about some things. When I think about my year as president, one of the things that I am most proud of is the comprehensive diversity, equity, and inclusion work that we started. And the reason why I'm most proud of that is because when I think of all of the things that you do as president of an organization like AORN, you remember them, but I'm I not do. sure everybody else remembers them, right? right? You know, and you think of what can we do that something that is really impactful and addressing something that is a really big issue that is something that i think the pandemic a silver lining again of the pandemic forced us mm -hmm. based off of what was happening in the society and the country uh, and within our hospitals to say you know what we're at a point where we cannot let this go on and it's one of many things I think the compensation issue is another one that has fueled the fire for travel nursing, for uh, all kinds of activity around fair and equitable uh, living wage. And so again, I don't have all the answers about these very complex issues, but I do think the pandemic brought these to a head. And just trudging through, we realized, I think collectively, we've got to stop and we've got to address this. Now, most of us are scared to death because yes, we, we don't are. have the answers to any of these things, which is why we wanted to just keep trudging through um, and hope for the best, you know, hope that it goes away. But I think we're at a point in time where we're realizing now two years into this pandemic and the shortage is really not easing up much. No, it's not. That 
all of these issues are connected. I think probably for the first time in my career as a nurse, I feel the optimism that we have the fortitude to actually see this true. Good information. It's a long answer to your question about no, do I blame the pandemic. Well, it's just so much more complex, as we say, and it's all interconnected. You know, I told you earlier, I feel like COVID was the great revealer. And what occurred was actually a perfect storm that made us face the issues that were already embedded in nursing yeah. that we to chose to put blinders on. I so like that, the great revealer, because yeah. I, I do think that's a great way to describe it. <laughs> it is. So now we've got this nursing shortage. What is it doing about impacting patient care and how are systems dealing with it? And I'm ready to hear this answer because I'm <laughs> dealing with it at uh, perioperative nursing being at almost a 41% deficit in travelers in my operating rooms. And you know how that impacts the service lines and hospitals. Yeah, you know, this is a really, really challenging issue because I think most of us, particularly those of us that come from the perioperative nursing specialty, we have... Uh, probably a little bit of a dysfunction in how we deal with this because <laughs> yeah, we, we want to just, again, just power through it, right? You and I both know we look at, historically, we look at a list of cases through the day and we just want to just get started and get moving and keep right. going. And, and I think that's a good quality in many ways, right? So when I think of who the rest of the hospital depends on to get, to get us through a crisis, it, normally they call on the ED and the OR. Absolutely. Because Agreed. we have the ability to make decisions, to get things done, to move. It's We're the wartime heroes. Problem is, this is a really long battle. Going day to day to day without all of the supports that under a, a normal or ideal, either one circumstance, would be available to them. And nurses have historically been the, the person that have filled the gap. Carrying that burden for this long I think has worn out, for lack of a better term, many of our of our colleagues nationally. Yeah. We, I don't believe we're bouncing back at what we think, and the term resilience is almost overused <laughs> with the other th impacts of it. We know this has created a domino effect in healthcare. And what do we have to look forward to in the next three to five years uh, with our patients and staffing? An interesting fact, I, I think, is that applications to nursing schools have not dropped, right? I, I, I looked the other day, again, I was, as I was saying, I was looking at some literature and, and saw something from the AACN. Applications to nursing school through the pandemic have not dropped. Now, isn't that an interesting fact? It, it almost doesn't make sense. Right. It's and contradictory. So I, I think this is one of those things where we as, as the profession, we have to take hold of the narrative around this and, and ensure that it's productive because it's true. It's true. We yes, have a it shortage. We, it's true. The work is hard. We can't ignore those things. We have to be realist. But realism without healthy doses of optimism is really not productive. And so I think that the, the narrative has got to change to why do these students keep applying to nursing school? We're limited in the education system in the pipeline because of how of nursing faculty shortage. Correct. And so we're turning away qualified applicants every year to nursing school. And so if, if it's interesting when I when I talk to the nurses that I lead at, at my hospital, 
I think they get a little frustrated with me because I want to focus on the pipeline and on nursing students, and they want to hear about they themselves. They want to hear the right? now. They're dying and, and, right now. And I, I appreciate yeah. this, but this, while it is a, the, the feeling of this is now, the solution to this is the it's pipeline. Later. It's the pipeline. And so as a profession, we've got to change that narrative to ensure we're doing what we can to protect that pipeline, to grow that pipeline, and ensure that that is what is, that that's where our future is. Right. It's almost the primary focus, but it's hard when they're on the front lines and we're pulling <clears throat> incentive pay and overtime and all they want to know is fix this now, that the Band-Aid of now won't help the future of nursing. That's absolutely true. Are there things that you think the government will or should do to improve the nursing shortage? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I don't know how I feel about governmental intervention. <laughs> mm-hmm. I do think there, well, I take that back. I do think there are things just like this bill that has been introduced regarding workplace violence and healthcare. I 1000% believe that just like uh, uh, flight attendants and pilots have federal protections mm-hmm. for disruptive behaviors on airplanes and in the airport, um, nurses, physicians, and healthcare providers should have those same protections. That's a good point. And a different we don't way have of looking them. at it. I, we don't have them. That's right. That uh, but I, I do think those are the things that the 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 government and our elected officials should be because they impact the shortage. Mm-hmm. Again, for keeping people in the profession, some of the things that are that are driving them to leave are about: Do I feel safe? working. So my eggs, I put my eggs in the basket of our professional organizations, the ANA, AORN, AONL, because that's us. And so I, I fundamentally believe we have to own the solution. We cannot be relying on somebody else to solve this for us. And so that's part of the reason why I shy away from what, what should the government do. Mm-hmm. I think there are things that the government can do to facilitate and make it easier, support the work. Mm-hmm. But I really, really believe that our professional organizations need to be taking the lead in changing that narrative. Yeah, I think that was one of the major conversations between DEI and the nursing shortage. The third was the, the lateral bullying and violence that we're seeing and it's not necessarily related again to perioperative services it's all over the place in different aspects but yeah. thank you tell me how you see healthcare systems dealing with these issues uh, what are some creative things that you've done in your system whether it be inpatient and outpatient and are they working i know we're testing the line everywhere we can yeah you know i think one of the things if, if there's a characteristic that i wish we had in nursing um that uh, I feel guilty saying we don't have, so I won't say we don't have. I'll say it is it is not our biggest strength, and that would be innovation. I, I think nurses in general are very comfortable with the systems and processes that we have historically we had. And we would love the future to fit into that. Nothing more would we love than just everything to fit in what we're used to and how things are go- uh, how things have been. But I, I think we have got to really grow our innovation muscles and be thinking about how things need to be different. If you, if you consider one of the differences for uh, the new generations coming into the workforce, innovation is a space they're very comfortable. They are. And so 
I think this is one of the things that we've got to really rely on their strengths to say, help us create this future would look like. You know, one of the things that we're doing and have done at UT Southwestern for quite some time is we have recognized, as lots of organizations have, there are, there are points in time in a nurse's career where uh, they transition and they make practice transitions. Um, but we haven't always been uh, very effective at helping nurses make those transitions. I shouldn't say organization, but really from a professional standpoint, we've recognized the entry to practice as a, as a critical point in time. And so mm-hmm. lots of places have residencies that help nurses uh, make that transition into practice. But I would argue I was an emergency room nurse before I was a perioperative nurse. I made a transition in practice and there was not much of a process to help me do that. And so we have, we have developed uh, several years ago now uh, what we call nursing fellowships. And these are, uh, it's not a fellowship in the sense of, uh, you know, a fellow of the, the, the academy, but it's a, a fellowship in that this is not a brand new nurse, but it's, a, it's recognizing they're making a transition in practice. And they're transitioning from one specialty area to another specialty area. And, you know, if you use Benner's model of novice to expert, the, re- the reality is you now have an expert nurse who's becoming a novice. Absolutely. And that's a really difficult transition it, to make. You know, it's, it's a point where a lot of people think a nurse is a nurse, even within our organization. Well, why can't they do that? And I said, yeah. and I mean this tongue in cheek. I said, you don't want to put me in there. I don't know what to do. I may give, have a medication there or something. I'm just not, I don't have the credentials nor the competencies to fit in those areas, but we expect that. We do. And so I think that I would submit that I think organizations need to be more creative and innovative at how they're helping nurses in those in those points of transition and encouraging those transitions. It doesn't help our profession if someone, uh, for lack of a better description, is is getting tired or less interested Mm -hmm. in, in the space where they're working. And so if we can make this. Uh, exciting, energetic, and, and supportive to them so that they can talk about what they might want to do or might want to look at and then have the system to support them in making that transition. Um, I think that's a really positive thing for the professionals. It's a type of innovation, and I'm, I'm proud to say that's one of our strategic goals with AORN this year, a high emphasis on uh, innovation. So, Vanji, what are some of the things that you're doing that are innovative or creative to, to think of this issue where, where you're at in South Carolina? Well, I really got to get my magic wand out. And, and I thought maybe going to a more rural area from, you know, Emory Health System and Wellstar that I would be able to tackle some of these issues, but found out that nothing changes but the faces. <laughs> so I knew that never in a time in, in our profession or in the workforce, if we've seen five generations, but coming into Anderson, South Carolina, I had basically two generations. I had a very young medical group and a very young um, staff of nurses and surgical techs. So I had to start thinking about what was important to that generation. One of the biggest things came out in our town halls. We actually had town halls to talk about what their pressure points were and why were they leaving uh, a, a hospital that they loved and had so much loyalty for and one of the biggest things they said is we don't want call so I remember trying to get real creative how do I get rid of call 
One thing great about it, I wasn't a level one, which is a little more complex, but I actually, at a bigger, at a higher rate, hired a specifically call staff for all areas mm-hmm. of perioperative nursing and eliminated their call. Um, I got real creative with their hours, even considering the time the nurses uh, that had childcare, um, and, and tried to be a little more flexible with their their times and moved into self scheduling. And if they wanted to pick up call for extra money, we did that too. So that was one of the creative models, and and then one of the others is very slowly doing some cross training so we could take care of some of the burdens when the gaps occurred. Yeah. Um, kind of like helping hands, but we stayed within our service line of perioperative nursing. I, I love the self-scheduling because I think it is, you know, the autonomy of a nurse being able to manage and control their own destiny, if you will, about their schedule. Mm-hmm. It, I, I think we forget how important that is. It is. Um, it, it balances them, and I think they, they tend to be a little more loyal and maybe I, I, flexibility was huge to the generation that I, that I have within the workforce and, and, and med health system. Yeah, that's great. I have one more question for you. If you could wave a magic wand and change the world for <laughs> perioperative nursing, what are the two things that you would do different in, in your recommendations to healthcare facilities? Well, and, and it absolutely would take a magic wand. <laughs> um, I, I would... I would fundamentally change nursing curriculum to ensure that perioperative nursing is included in uh, the, the curriculum in, in schools of nursing. And I know that that seems like a, a maybe an old time old timer saying that, um, but as I look at the exposure of uh, nursing students to even what the possibilities are of nursing, particularly perioperative nursing, their exposure is so limited and even when they do have some exposure, it's observation at best. I, w- I would take us back to the basics of ensuring that perioperative nursing is recognized as a core within the profession instead, yes. Of, yes. instead of a sideline. Um, but then the other thing I think is I, I would, for individual nurses and leaders, I would, I would with my magic wand, wake them up. And the reason why I say that is I I think that too many frontline nurses, too many leaders have not been actively engaged in either this discussion about what's happening in our profession, actively engaged with our professional associations that are working to solve it. And so they, they have this belief that this should be easy to fix. And I can feel it sometimes in their tone and their in the words that they use that why don't you just or why don't right. we just do this or this? And I think I wish it was that's just that simple. That's the magic wand. That's, that's right. Comes they in. want a magic wand yeah. for that. And so I, I, I maybe that's not a great way to describe it that I wish they would wake up, but I do think inspire them, I guess, to get engaged and ensure that they're that all of us are a part of this discussion. Absolutely. It takes a, what do they say? It takes a, takes a, a village, a village <laughs> the infamous cliche. Yeah. Well, David, um, thank you so much for joining me in the President's Corner. Very insightful thoughts of where we're going as a profession, not just perioperative nursing, um, and talking about nursing uncharted, the nursing shortage. Again, thank, thank you for you. your time today. Thank you, Vanjie. 
Thanks for listening. We hope you'll share this podcast with your colleagues, and we hope that you'll join us next time for Periop Talk.